Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 57. Uh, you got Chris and Brian, and today we are going to talk about doing rifle up close rifle things in the dark with weapon mounted lights. Um, just a bunch of drills we ran through recently. Uh, a little bit of scenario based kind of stuff too. Yeah, one of our uh, one of our tribe uh, set up um, a, a really good training night uh, that's got a great progression um, from some like ramp up reps, some practice reps, warm up type reps. Um, and then, you know, pushing for time and then batting some distance and then pushing for time again. Um, and then doing some different drills along with that and in, that involve movement, decision-making, small targets, things of that nature, um, all done in a low light environment with rifles at what I would call close range, not even intermediate. I don't think we yeah, did think anything that night was over 30 yards. Um, right. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, everything, yeah. everything yeah. was, I would say within 30 yards, which, yeah. You know, if we're looking at a, a suburban or a urban type environment, you know, or home defense type environment, um, definitely plausible. Yeah. Uh, and still, you know, we, we tend to maintain a rifles first mentality. Yeah. Uh, yep. you know, if we have the option to go to a rifle over a pistol, we definitely want to use the rifle. Um, so, you know, using a rifle up close is something we like rifles up close. Yeah. I'm going to so I'm gonna get gun, gun nerd alert. Um, I, I like pistols up close, as long as they're chambered in 5.56 with 11.5-inch barrels, suppressors on them, good white lights, and an optic. Um, and, and, a, and a, you know, some type of SB, like an SBA-3, um, then, then sure, pistols are just fine um, as, as your primary. How about yeah. that? Uh, gun nerd, gun nerd, gun nerd alert, nerd alert. So, um, yeah, so, the, so we, we, we ran this, this evening, and, and there were some... Some pretty big takeaways, um, but I, I think we probably should run through the progression of drills that we did just real quickly. Uh, what, what, two inch circles, three inch circles? Enough to get you for offset. Yeah. Two, and, yeah. Call it, let's call it, split the difference, call it two and a half. Yeah. So there, there are circles that you're shooting out of close. Um, basically, free form warm up, you know, doing an up drill. You're get, getting the gun up. Um, and, and, and again, not full speed. These were get the gun up, smooth, you get a good rep in, etc. Um, get the dot where it needs to be for sight offset, press the shot off. A couple guys like touched the shot off and were like, oh yeah, offset, duh. Um, a, a couple guys still struggled once we got up and running with specifically with offset, not, not with misses based on anything other than sight offset. Um, if you're running a rifle up close, be aware of sight offset. Um, but anyway, so we started off with some warmups and then we started off with some time stuff, um, to get up and get a shot on that same target, a hit on that same target. Yeah, we're talking like in, just inside of seven yards. Yep. Um, two seconds. You know, get the gun up, get your light on, get, get your a dot hit. where it needs to be, and put your round inside that two and a half inch circle. Um, yeah. We'll do that probably what ten times. Yeah, probably ten times. Um, and that you know, a a two second part time for somebody who's competent with their with their. Now I'm not saying a super expert. I'm just saying competent with a with a rifle with an optic on it and a light on it. Um, that's a pretty generous part time. Um, a number of us were probably consistently under one five. Uh, we had uh, a couple guys that were consistently down around a second. Um, yeah. I think there were a couple times where the guy on the end was uh, was point nine something a couple different times. Yeah. Um, so you know, and, and then we we upped the ante um, at that distance at that time frame. Did we go to two, or did he give us a little more time to go to two? I think we went. For two rounds, I think we had three seconds. Yeah, and again, a number of us were at that distance. Those are double taps. That's a that's a hammer. For some of us, were were getting the sight where it needed to be and just pulling the gun in tight and pressing the trigger twice. Two sight pictures instead of three. 
um, for two shots. Um, you know, and so there again, some of us were down in that, still in that one, two, one, five, whatever, uh, for a double. I think most of us were consistently under two anyway, still for two shots. Yeah. If you're yeah. taking the time to make sure your second shot was in the right place, then that split went from probably 0.2 to 0.4, 0.5. Yeah, but we were definitely still under two seconds. Yeah, and again, the idea, guys, was 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 control, um, clean, um, doing what you need to do to make the hits under the time, using all the time available. Uh, none of this was, hey, go as fast as you can and see how fast you can do it. It was make make the hits consistently and use the time as you know, kind of a reasonable guideline to stay under. So um, from there, we went back to maybe double that distance, somewhere between fifteen and twenty. Yeah, we'll, yeah, you know, we'll call it that. Um, and, and did basically the same progression, um, at, at the same three second part time, I think now that we were at distance, um, it went to, you know, up, make a hit, um, and then up, make two hits. Um, I don't think we really pushed it any further than that on that particular drill. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, from there we went to a, no, we stayed there cause we did Mozambique drills on the, oh, that's the right. Command that's targets. right. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you're awake. Um, yeah, and so uh, a Mo, for those of you who don't know, also referred to as often as a body armor drill. Um, it's the classic two to the chest, one to the head drill. Um, again, same part time, three seconds um, at about 20 yards. Um, you know, more than doable with a rifle, especially a rifle with a dot optic and a light on it. Um, you know, and hammered through some of those drills too. Um, uh, and, and we'll get into this later, but the wheels had fallen off um, for a couple of us. Um, and, and this almost really brought it home because what should be two good upper chest hits, you know, within the size of a tennis ball or a fist, um, yeah. turned into, well, it's on the paper kind of mentality. Um, and guys were missing headshots at, at, uh, or, or really close to missing headshots at like literally 20 yards with a dot optic rifle. I think the, the head, our head target is the inside of the bowling ball. Um, if you make it into the shop, you can see the target we're referring to. Yeah, easily um, a four-inch circle. But it, easily. Yeah, it's about a four-inch circle. Yeah, easily. Um, and so, you know, shooting upper thoracic and, and then going to a four-inch circle on a target that's very well delineated as to where your bowling pin-shaped hits need to be. Um, and, and it really, you know, it, one of those things where guys were just trying to outrun their headlights, and I'm not sure why, but... It, it, it became grotesque, and like I said, we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. So. All of a sudden, one of those, you know, if you don't have a small target to aim at, uh, you're now missing big instead of missing small. Yeah, yeah, and I've always thought the aim small, miss small thing was kind of a curious way to 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 remind people of things. But I think actually it's probably just that. It's just a good reminder. Um, you know, if you aim small but you have crappy trigger control, you can still miss big. Um, in, in this case, I don't think anybody was aiming. Well, there were a few guys who were not aiming small and they weren't managing the trigger at all. So they were missing huge. Um, but anyway, like I said, I, I keep hitting on that. Sorry. We'll come back to it. Um, the next set of drills, uh, we went to, um, the targets that we were using have, uh, red, yellow, blue shapes, uh, circles, squares, triangles with numbers on them, one through six around the perimeter of the same target we were doing the Mozambiques on. Um, basically, on the beep, uh, you were given a, uh, was it, is a number or a color or a shape? A I think number. it was a number was given out. Yeah. Um, and you had to engage that number with two hits. In general, I'm going to call all of these targets four-inch targets. 
Um, something that should be, if you're running your dot on the top of the target, you should be in the center of it um, from an offset perspective. And if you're running the center, you should be close to the bottom edge. Um, and, and, you know, so I mean, their offset almost shouldn't be an issue with these targets at that distance. Um, but it turned out to be anyway. So, um, so we did that for a little bit, uh, ran through those. And then the final set of drill was a, the, was a little bit of fun. Well, not the final, but oh, we did some team movement stuff too. That's exactly. So the, the second to last drill was we did team movement where we set up with two or three guys in some cases and basically moved from piece of cover, piece of cover, piece of cover as a team. So you would move your team one guy at a time from one piece of cover cross range to the next um, until you had everybody in that position, and then you'd move to the next piece of cover, etc. Um, that that was done primarily for safety reasons because it's relatively small range, uh, multiple shooters. We don't want guys crossing each other up, especially downrange of one another. So we maintain kind of that team movement perspective um, and engage targets in that fashion. Um, the, during this time frame, we're still using the number targets. Um, and it was called out, you had a target array downrange of three different targets. So, you know, generally somebody was responsible for the right side or the left side, and then whoever got done with theirs first got to the middle and took care of that target for two hits as well. Um, you know, we ran through that a number of different times. Uh, a couple of times we had guys that had malfunctions, and I'm not sure um, if the malfunctions were based on being close to cover and putting an injection port up against stuff, um, or if they were based on something else entirely. Um, in general, Pretty decent quality guns uh, without getting into brands. One was like a very old training mag that was okay. kind of known to induce malfunctions. Okay, okay, so yeah, so one of those, um, you know, if you, you know, yeah, because we talked about that a little bit, it, you know, don't, don't fall in love with your mags. If you've got an, a, you know, an old mag that starts acting funky, um, generally for me, if, it, if I have a malfunction with a magazine, I take my knife out and I put a mark on that mag that's not going to go away. Um, the second time I have a malfunction with that mag, I might do a quick cursory inspection, and if it looks like the mag's in great shape, maybe I'll go to the trouble of replacing a spring or a follower. But generally, um, I throw it off to the side. I put a second mark in it, which ends up being an X on the mag, and I demill the damn thing and throw it away. I take it home, smash it with a hammer once or twice, make sure it's trash, and I throw it in the trash. Um, even in a training environment, guys are like, oh, yeah, I use these old mags so I can induce malfunctions. Um, that's fine if whatever the induced malfunction you're trying to make is the one that mag does for you and it does it consistently. Um, but if you're just randomly blowing up a drill where the malfunction is not part of it, I don't know that you're necessarily doing yourself any good or not. Um, especially when if you run good gear, that malfunction is not super common. Yeah. So anyhow, um, so anyway, so, you know, team movement, multiple target engagement, um, all low light, um, you know, and, and just target discrimination as well, not just multiple target engagement, but hitting the right target. Along with the move and communicate. Exactly. So, you know, kind of putting, you know, the, the big three together. Um, the last thing that we did was a, a blind scenario where you went into it and you were given three numbers at random. Uh, there were six or seven potential targets downrange, um, but you were given three that were bad guys. Um, a number of them were lined up as shoot-throughs, so if you didn't discriminate where you were shooting from and make good decisions, um, you know, you were in trouble. A couple of them were placed in such a way that if you progressed without really scanning things or, or using cover available to you, um, you know, you could actually move right into the line of fire for that bad guy, um, you know, and, and so they, and you couldn't engage them all from one place. Um, I, I didn't, you, you can probably speak more to this. I, I shot that. Um, I felt like I had my groups in the right place. All the shots I made went in the right place. 
I did get surprised by the one target um, that I wasn't expecting. I hadn't seen it in any way, shape, or form and was moving off of cover cautiously to clear real quick before I moved to the next piece of cover and ended up doing four near point blank shots into the chest, um, which were all good hits, <laughs> curiously <laughs> enough, um, since I could almost touch the target. So, um, But anyway, um, our cohort in crime who set that up did a really, really good job of target placement to make you work a little bit and think about safety shoot throughs where you, you know, um, you know, I use some communication, you know, there are some other targets that I addressed and I'm, you know, trying to just game it as best I could to tell people, you know, Hey, you need to get down, get down, get down. You know, if you're not one of my bad guys, I'm shooting. Um, and, and a, a good scenario, a fairly quick little reminder, guys were able to run it multiple times because you could be given other numbers than the three you had the first time. Um, and, and again, it's just one of those, Hey, let's put all this together, uh, as an individual and do some work. Um, so we'll get into talking about some of the takeaways from this, whether it be equipment, whether it be training, whether it be mindset or whatever, and just talk about those things a little bit today. Yeah. The, the last scenario was done on IDPA backer targets, uh, with the number, basically just a big Sharpie numeral, yeah. um, in the head area. Yeah. So. And the targets generally were placed, the array started, um, somewhere within five yards, all the way out to 25 yards, maybe 30 yards tops yeah. tops. Um, so again, close range stuff. Um, and again, I, I, I won't speak to accuracy on that stage because I generally try to put two in the chest and one in the head of each of those targets, um, and didn't have any problem doing that at all. Um, I, I will talk for just a moment running that specific drill. Uh, guys, if you've been in the shop, you've heard us singing the praises of a new product by cloud defensive called the owl light. It's actually new to us. It's been on the market probably a year or so. Um, the owl light is a 1250 to 1400 lumen light. Um, it is an integrated mounting system that's ambidextrous. You can switch the front end and the back end without threading anything. Um, it's about a 45 degree turn to switch out the tail from the head and turn things around. It comes with two 18650 batteries and a charger and the light. Um, it is a phenomenal setup. The electronics internally, to my understanding, are what they refer to as potted. The electronics are basically hardened um, within it within the device, so things aren't going to shake loose. Um, there is an integral pressure switch built onto the Picatinny rail mount. So the idea with a light is that it mounts on your top pick rail um, to the right or left of your front sight at your preference, um, down near the muzzle under the gun. Um, if I'm going to complain about this optic, the only there are two things you could complain about if you really want to cry about something. Um, number one, it's a little bit big and bulky. Uh, get over it because it freaking works. Um, and the way it's mounted, it doesn't get in the way of anything. Uh, I see a lot smaller lights mounted in ways that make them stick out a lot further than that yeah. light. Um, the, also, the placement of that light with the mounting system. I do like centerline lights like I run with the X300. Um, I'm willing to, to forego that with this light based on its positives. I'm willing to not have to worry about that because it's close enough to centerline to not matter. Um, yeah. The other thing is, it's a little bit heavy. Um, there's a lot there. I'll quit being a wuss um, if it's too heavy for you. Um, eat protein and do push-ups. You'll be fine. Um, it's, it's a little heavier than some of the light combos out there, but what you get out of it, again, is more than worth it for me. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to cry about that. If you're doing your uber lightweight build, I want to maintain sub six pounds with a loaded gun, uh, might not be for you. You know, stick, stick with taping a, stick with taping a triple A, you know, mag light to the side of your gun or whatever works. So, um, 
what I did see with this light, easy to use switching, um, a lot of light going down range, good light quality, good light tone, a warm light that lets you see everything really well. Um, I know with some of the white lights in the past, trying to read numbers on targets with any reflection and stuff like that, some of the really bright white LEDs tend to reflect back and, and make it hard to see. You can see a person, no problem, but trying to read something, trying to distinguish fine things, that warmer light does a lot more for you, makes it a lot easier to see. So Yeah, we got some videos on our Instagram um, that show the difference between that light, uh, X300 Ultra, a couple different versions of that, and an old school um, scout light. So if you're looking to see more on the, the tonal qualities and things, um, get your phone out and go look at that stuff. Yeah, there's, there's some. it's interesting because when you watch those videos and, and you'll see it, um, with the lights that put out enough light, uh, things, everything works better, including the, the camera, yeah. um, because it actually can do what it's supposed to do. Cause there's enough light to let it do what it's supposed to do. It thinks it's daylight. That should tell the tale. Um, so anyway, so the lights that we saw run, um, one, one thing that you want to be cautious with, with the owl, like any other open pressure switch device are white light NDs. Um, when I was on the line early on, I did come up on a target and hit the light. Um, like on the beep, bringing the gun up. I wasn't ready to be on the target or turn the light on yet. Um, so I had a white light ND, um, you know, playing with that. And that's something that, you know, that's that's a placement of the placement of the light and a disciplined thing for the shooter where you put your thumb when you don't need to use the light. Um, you know, something I'll have to get used to. I'm very, very new to this light. I probably have less than a couple of hours using it total. Um, it's been on the gun for a little longer than that, but you know, just trying to play around and learn that. I, do, I think that'll be something that'll be easily overcome like yeah. any other tape switch. Don't put your thumb where it's not supposed to be. Um, so we saw some issues with guys running quality lights but not knowing how to use them. Uh, one of the guys is running a Surefire X300 light. Um, super easy light to use on a rifle. Um, it's ambi, does everything you want it to do, but for some reason uh, couldn't keep his thumb in the right place on the light to keep the light on. So it's getting the gun up, the light on, taking one shot, the light would go out. He'd have to reacquire the light and then take another shot, uh, slow things down dramatically. Yeah. Um, the other guy that was running hair on fire, ironically, no hair. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Off. I'm not exactly sure he was what he was fighting with his light. I, did, I didn't catch that. Because he's running X300 at 12 o'clock. Okay. Uh, so one of the, the things with lights on rifles especially as if each rifle has a different light, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Um, having a standard, you know, switchology system across different rifles makes it so you can grab, you know, whichever AR pattern rifle, pistol, you know, or subgun with lights and whatnot on them, uh, and you you know what you need to do with that light. Uh, I run X300 Ultras or the MH35 on the Scorpion, which is essentially an X300 Ultra with a max vision head instead of a TIR head, um, given the purpose of that particular firearm. Um, but the switching is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so picking up, you know, either an AR-15 or the Scorpion, you know, I put my hand, put my, my left hand by the light, it knows what it needs to do. Yeah. Um, and it just makes life really simple, um, which given time constraints and dark, and cold and gloves and all those things becomes really important. Yeah, and I will say that you know, in the, when you know the white light ND, like I said, the system that I'm running, I don't run pressure switch lights. Um, I run X300s on handguns. I run X300Us on rifles. 
Um, and I generally only use the momentary switches. I generally only use the press on the back of the switching system. So going to the owl is a big change for me uh, because I've just, I haven't run a pressure switch on a flashlight in probably six or eight years. Um, having said that, I'm, I like the owl enough that I'm going to learn how I'm going to have probably two different lighting systems. Um, because I don't necessarily want the owl on every gun I own, but I do want it on the yeah, gun. The yeah. I want it on the gun for sure. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm going to be that guy who does have two different lighting systems, but only two, not seven. So, yeah. One of the other, you know, things we kind of noticed that night, um, red dots or let's call it one X magnification on a rifle, um, makes rifles really easy to use up close. Uh, we start adding magnification, be that like an ACOG, yep. um, a low power variable with magnification cranked up, uh, or I'm going to put iron sights in this too. Yeah. Uh, something other than, you know, an optic at 1x with a dot. Um, doing stuff up close, especially with lights, or we can't, we don't necessarily see the target or know what the target is until the target is illuminated, um, makes everything a lot more confusing. Yeah. Absolutely, and I will, and I'm, and I'm gonna draw that back down to it. To these are these are training issues, not device issues. In most cases, um, if you run an ACOG consistently, um, and and if your eyes will let you use the BAC, the bend and aiming concept, um, if your eyes will let you do that, if your eyes will let you ignore the magnification and see the reticle with your optic eye, and see everything else with your other eye. And that system works for you, then that's fine. Uh, one of the guys that we shoot with on a regular basis, um, honestly, shoots handguns and rifles generally really freaking well. Um, but the ACOG slows him down just a little bit for whatever reason. His brain doesn't want to put that reticle with it, and and it's not because of a lack of skill or for lack of trying. He's got the reps in on it. It, it just doesn't visually quite work for him. Um, really solid shooter, um, you know. So the the gentleman that was running it. Um, that we were running these with the other night was running an ACOG up close. And I don't know if it was a matter of lack of reps or what was getting in his way, um, or just trying to go too damn fast. Um, so yeah. that, and that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Again, not wanting to blame the optic. I'll say the same thing about low power variables. Um, if you're walking around, whether it's patrolling or clearing your house or whatever in general, that low power variable, it's, it's constant living state should be one X. Um, it should always be on 1x until you need it to not be on 1x. And then when you're done needing it to be on 1x or on some other magnification level, it, it should back go to back 1X. to 1x. Um, you know, that should be kind of like that check system when you pick the, pick the gun up. It, just like you check to make sure your dot's on with any other optic, you're going to pick that up, make sure that the reticle's illuminated and that it's on 1x. Um, you know, if, if the good Lord gives you time to do that. So... Um, and so, yeah, if you find yourself on three and a half or four or six or eight or 10, um, that's on you. That's a, that's a training issue and an attentiveness issue. Um, square yourself away. Uh, same thing with magnifiers. If you're running a dot optic and you have a magnifier and the magnifier is in the way because it fits in your case better than that. And the first time you bring it up is at 10 feet and you can't see anything, um, you know, square yourself away and develop some consistent behavior modalities where when you pick the gun up, that's one of the things you do. Light check, optic check, is everything turned on? Is my magnifier out of the way? Is my light ready to go? Does everything appear to be in good working order? Great, let's load it and go. Yeah. Um, you know, get in those, build, make it habitual, to quote somebody that we all think is pretty cool. Um, make it habitual. So, um, 
but that's the kind of the optic comment for that section. I also think that for tight shots at distance, that same ACOG that's, that might slow somebody down who's not putting the work in on it and runs different guns, different optics a lot, is going to find that at just a little bit of distance, even 25 yards, maybe that ACOG actually goes back to being a little bit of an asset. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd say the same thing you know, with the low-power variable. Yep, absolutely. Um, maybe even more so. When we got back to you know 30 or 30-ish yards or whatever, yeah. shooting those numbers and the circles and things, uh, having the ability to zoom in a little bit with the magnifier yeah. on a low-power variable would have been helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at black numerals on colored things. Um, blue and red were a little hard to read. Yeah, especially the blue. Especially um, the blue. At distance, you know, if yeah. your eyes aren't perfect, um, we're having that magnification to do extra target discrimination is definitely yep. a, a, a positive thing to have. Yeah, and if you're a young stud and you've got great vision and those things are easy for you, that's cool. Um, hopefully that stays with you for the rest of your life. But the likelihood is when you hit, you know, somewhere between 35 and 45, things will change. Um, you know, so um, you adapt and, and do what you can. And as humans, we use tools. Um, you know, so use yeah. the right tool. No big deal. Um, um, the other, I think, big takeaway from the night for a number of individuals was the fact that people are capable of task stacking and task switching, but we don't multitask very well. Yep. Uh, so when we got into the sheet move communicate on targets we needed to do extra discrimination and finding things and a lot of stuff going on. Um, the guys that tried to do everything at the same time didn't do anything at all very well. Yeah. Um, the guys that were able to focus on making the hits they needed to then do their comms with their partner or their teammates uh, or, you know, focus on moving and going where they needed to go while their partner was shooting. Um, those those teams and those individuals tended to do a little bit better. So we can focus on you know task stacking. So these are the, the things that we need to do, be that shoot the bad guy, reload the gun, um, talk to our partner, you know, move to the next position we need to go to, uh, cover our partner to get to the, as he gets to where we're at, um, you know, doing those things, focusing on one thing at a time, uh, makes for a much more efficient means of completing the scenario. Uh, we talk about here efficiency too. You know, we're trying to, to solve these problems with the least amount of effort, um, utilizing cover. You know, getting not getting shot is possibly more important than shooting the bad guy. Yeah. Um, you know, making sure we we only shoot the bad guy and not our partner. Uh, again, because we got people moving around, um, we're, we live in a, you know, a three-dimensional world. Or yeah, yeah, we call the you know having 720 degrees security, so all the way around, along with up and down, um, knowing what's going on at all times. So not getting, you know, completely sucked into a particular target or um, task or task. Or task. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it also speaks back to having you know kind of subconscious manipulation of the weapon. Uh, particularly regarding, you know, trigger finger placement, keeping safeties engaged when we're not actively shooting, uh, being able to reload or fix malfunctions at almost the subconscious level, uh, which allows us to have some attention on, you know, everything else that's going on versus being completely sucked into, well, my gun doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? What do I got to do? And then popping up, you know, 15 seconds later and wondering, where'd everybody go? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so being able to, again, 
stack tasks. These are the, the things we need to do and then switch in an orderly fashion amongst those tasks uh, allows us to overall solve the problem in a more efficient manner. Absolutely. And I'll throw out, a, I'll, I'll put a real sharp point on two different examples. Uh, we had two different situations. Uh, one of them was really poignant because we had a three-man group. Uh, one of the primary guys on cover had a had a malfunction of some sort with his gun that was a I, I don't know what the malfunction was. It sounded like a stuck case or something like that. Yeah, it was like, Russian ammo with that bad magazine. Okay, so yeah, so a combination of those two things. Um, and and But this individual didn't give up the enemy-facing position to his teammate that was running security, which he should have. And the response afterward was, oh, well, we're, we're just, it was just a drill, so I didn't do that. Well, it was a great opportunity in a drill to do that. It was a great opportunity to say, oh, well, hey, this is a drill. Here we are in this situation. You know, hey, come back, you know, hey, switch, 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 my gun's down. You know, I can't clear this. It's not clearing. Um, you know, in transition to the handgun would have been an option as well. But in this stage, we had three guys on that team. I would much rather see the guy running security with a handgun and have another rifle in the fight. Um, and, you know, so so the, the response that, you know, hey, this, well, it's only training, so I didn't do that. Well, great opportunity to do well, that. We want to right? do in training what we're going to exactly. do in the real world. Ex exactly. It's same thing with the malfunction. <laughs> Um, you know, you know, you want to, you want to do whatever it was you're going to do at that distance. That should have been a, should have been a transition to handgun and then a, and then a calling for the guy with the other rifle to take your position and you move back to security. That should have been an, an almost an immediate response. Uh, but because it was quote unquote training, we didn't do what we should be doing. And that's why we're training us so we can practice doing what we should be doing. Um, and I think you'll find guys who operate with weapons, not that I'm one of them, but operate with weapons at a very high level, um, while there's this like, wow, my gun doesn't do that very often when they have a malfunction, in the middle of the actual malfunction, there's almost like this giddy, ooh, an organic malfunction, I get to make work again. Because most of those guys run really good gear, and they don't yeah. get to do malfunction training without knowing Set there's a malfunction up. coming. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know that there are times, you know, where you have an ammo issue or something like that, where you're like, you know, the gun stops working, and you're like, sweet, you know, tap rack assess. What are we doing here? You know, okay, with the rifle. Okay, cool. I got to strip, you know, rip it, lock it open, um, finger it, get it going again, and reload the gun and get back to work. Okay, cool. Let's do this. And it's like, because most of the guns that we run don't do that organically very often unless we just fail to maintain them or we have a poor quality ammo issue um, or occasionally a mag issue because that is a reality check, you know. But again, like I said, if you've got issues with your mags, dump them. If you're running crappy enough ammo that you run into that on a regular basis, switch up ammo. Um, but, you know, take take that opportunity to actually use those events as as training things rather than creating some scar um, because it's just it's just training is the opposite reason and the opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah. So not to pick on anybody directly. Sorry, um, but I'll throw that out there. So, yeah. What yeah. else from that from that from that aspect of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, the other big thing is when you start looking at you know what your tribe does from a communication standpoint, it's really important to have everybody on the same page regarding you know, simple commands of, I want you to go somewhere, I want you to come back to me, I want you to stay where you're at. Uh, my gun is out of ammo, my gun has malfunctioned, my gun is back in the fight, I am back in the fight. Uh, so that you can, when it comes time to execute, you can do what you need to do um, with brevity and with zero ambiguity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Both from a, we don't want to spend a lot of time talking, uh, and I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of oxygen on talking, because um, when you start moving around and fighting with guns, your heart rate tends to go up. Yeah. Um, you tend to be 
you know, it's a stressful or stress-inducing type situation, um, you know, and to make sure that, you know, we, our partners and our teammates are doing what they need to do. Absolutely. Um, comms and calm clarity becomes really important. Yeah, and I guess a lot of that, too, is understanding that, you know, if you're doing a two-man movement drill, one of the goals of the drill is for you to move from one position to the next until you've reached whatever objective, whatever the goal is of the drill. Um, we had a couple situations where guys just, they were, they were shooting, man. They were killing stuff, um, and, and they were staying in one position way longer than they should have been because their teammate had already said moving. They'd responded, move. Um, and now that teammate's in a totally different location and potentially burning up ammo for no good reason when their partner should be right on their heels so they're ready to go. You know, there should have been, as soon as that guy, so two-man team, first guy, you know, first guy moves and sets up, that second shot, um, I'm calling out. Uh, you know, I'm moving, you know, and I want him to command back, move. Or if your training is second shot, the gun's up, okay, now I'm moving to him because that's where I need to be anyway, um, you know, and, and hoping that his gun doesn't run dry in the middle of that or hoping that you're faster than you think you are. Uh, that's not me ever. So, you know, that kind of conversation. Yeah, we can definitely use, you know, gunfire and weapons to communicate um, between shooters. Uh, yeah. It becomes really important when you've got more than two people Yeah. because you can't do verbal comms with eight people. You've got to use gunfire. Um, yeah, it, so the, for sure, for sure, working out those comms. Uh, one of our tribe um, uses comms a little bit differently based on his training than a couple of us do, um, you know, and there's definitely not a set thing. I, I think we all understand what we're trying to, what we're hearing and what we're trying to should be responding to, even if we haven't trained in those exact same modalities, um, you know, as, as different guys take training from different people. Yeah. Um, but it still was easy to figure out. Um, you know, the guy that I ran a cup that drill with once or twice, he uses a, a, a slightly different set of commands. It's no problem at all. And when I respond back the way I was trained, he knows what I'm saying. It's no big deal. Um, and we were both able to, to just think our way through it and go on. No big deal. I don't think it really impeded us much at all. Um, yeah. To Also, to throw in there, though, ours were particularly easy runs. We didn't have any weapon issues. We didn't have any communication issues. You know, So it made things pretty smooth for us. And only having two guys, adding a third guy. Who's yelling move and who's moving and why are they going where, you know, complicates things dramatically. Um, I I think a two-man team is obviously a significantly simpler thing to get used to. Um, Guys who operate in, you know, four and eight-man and 12-man environments, those dudes are switched on generally or it's a train wreck, one or the other. So Yeah, and to, to, I think, make it probably the most important part, um, this was not the first time any of us have done this. Ever. And it was definitely not the first time we've done this with this particular tribe. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of reps in in good light, in daylight, um, yeah. in warm weather, um, without gloves and things. Uh, so if you're literally, expecting... Literally for years. Yeah, literally for years. For years. With these same group of people. Uh, so if you're expecting to, you know, when the, the balloon goes up and it gets the fights on for real... To just you know seamlessly work like you do on the PlayStation playing Call of Duty with your, yeah. your teammates, uh, yeah. it's not going to work that way. And if you want to train this stuff with a buddy or with a spouse and stuff like that, this is precisely what blue guns are for, for like literally hundreds of reps. This is what blue guns are for. Maybe airsoft guns are for, etc. Nerf guns, Nerf guns, whatever. Uh, finger guns. I don't care. Um, you know, if you go through mount training in the military, you're going to literally spend a couple days without a gun in your hand at all doing this stuff starting out. Um, just working the principles, learning the principles. Glass hallways and tape on the floor. Exactly. So, you know, for sure. Um, You know, so with those things in mind, if if, if this is some of the training you want to do, A, daylight, B, no guns, 
or inert guns um, over and over and over and over again. And that's all stuff for most of us started years and years and years ago. And we still do dry runs with unloaded guns. We still do dry runs with finger guns and stuff like that. If it's a new environment or a different, you know, a different way of doing things, just like, hey, let's clear them real quick. Let's get our finger guns out and let's walk through this with finger guns because this is a different way from doing things. Um, you know, some of the entry methodologies and stuff like that, doorway tactics and room tactics have changed a little bit over the 15 years that I've been doing this or 20 years I've been doing this. Um, you know, so let's go into it slow and safe first. Um, with that comment in mind, unless there's anything you want to add to that, um, I want to hit slow and safe one more time. Um, you know, guys, if you're out there and you're training and you and it's it's you or you have a training partner, um, you know, it, when you're doing this stuff, when you train with martial arts, you train very, very slowly at first and you train to make exact perfect movements to impact the point of your target exactly where you want to impact the point of your target. And you do it over and over and over and over and over and over again until you can't possibly miss. That concept is generally referred to as mastery. If you master the muscle movements and the control you need to hit your target exactly where you want in slow motion, then you speed it up a little bit and you're still not missing. You speed it up a little bit and you're still not missing. And you speed it up a little more and you're still not missing. Keep doing it. When you start missing, back off. Slow the hell down. Uh, we had some couple guys within the group um, doing stuff that was just flat out crazy, outrun their headlights. And I know Keanu Reeves looks cool in the movies um, and John Wick, but he's not actually shooting a real gun. And then those people that he's that it looks like he's shooting and killing, he's not actually affecting them kinetically in any way, shape, or form. It's not real. Um, you know, if you've got somebody out there that you're training with and they're blazing away and not making hits, um, talk to that guy because he's not doing himself any favors. He's ingraining horrible habits, not just bad habits. Um, you know, and there's a couple of you, I, you know, if, if you feel like I'm pointing my finger at you right now, I am, um, you know, cause these are conversations we have on a regular basis. So, um, you know, do the reps, pay the price, do the work, do it slowly, do it perfectly and get better at it. Um, and, and probably all of us have times when we should be slowing down a little bit when we don't need to be going as fast as we're going. Um, you know, but slow down, get good at it slow. The speed will come with time. And there's a lot of guys who say the speed will come when you need it too. So, you know, do it perfectly and get better. Yeah. To, uh, to quote Matt Graham from Graham Combat, uh, if you have the rest of your life to solve this problem, yeah. um, you should probably make sure you solve the problem successfully. Yes. And on that note, you can find us on social media at Instagram or at Cap City Outfitters on Instagram and Facebook as long as they let us stick around. Um, you can find us on the web at CapCityOutfitters.com and come visit us at the store. We are in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Um, we're looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, guys.